0: From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Hom, and this is COGCAST. of streetlights in our communities that we truly only notice when the light is out or when a pole is knocked over. We expect them to work and don't think much about them otherwise. But who owns the streetlights? What are the maintenance costs? How much energy do they consume? And is this even important? Today we will explore WRCOG's regional streetlight program and we are pleased to welcome Tyler Masters, program manager here at WRCOG, who has taken the lead with this program. So Tyler, thank you for being here with us today. Yeah,
1: I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So how, how long have you actually been working here at WRCOG?
1: In just a month, I will have been here about eight years.
0: It's your eighth birthday. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So did you grow up out in here in Riverside? Or are you not from this area? Yeah,
1: born and raised in the city of Riverside. Uh, my commute is, okay. is very simple, very local. I live about two miles away.
0: Oh, wow. Two miles, really reducing your footprint. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and then I heard, are you expecting you and your wife, are you guys expecting a baby? Yes.
1: My wife and I have our first child on the way, a little girl. We're about, uh, seven months along. So we're going to have so her exciting. in a couple of months here.
0: So exciting. Did you guys do a gender reveal at all?
1: We did do a gender reveal. Um, I had a really, a really terrible idea of a gender <laughs> reveal. And when I was telling that to a, to a friend of mine, he kind of like, he kind of laughed me off the stage, so to speak and then he uh, um, gave me a pretty good idea on what I should do, given that I work on a lot of energy uh, and lighting projects that I should do a gender <laughs> reveal along those lines and turn on the light. And if it's pink, it's a girl. If it's blue, oh, it's a boy. Okay. And I thought that was a genius <laughs> idea. So we did it, and it worked very well.
0: So when you turned on the light, was um, were you, like, stoked out of your mind? Did you, like, what were your initial reaction? The Shock?
1: Uh, I was a little confused because uh, the light actually, at first, to me and to yeah. most of the room, looked a little purple. No, my, <laughs> wife, my wife was much smarter than I was, and she knew uh, that she had seen what the colors should look like, and she was like, "It's pink, guys!" And she just was, she was beside she herself, was beside herself. She was ecstatic. Then we, then we got to really celebrate.
0: That's so exciting. Um, well, congratulations! That's Thank really, you very really much. an exciting time. And so just kind of circling back to the streetlight program, can you can you just give me like a high-level overview of the program or just like your elevator pitch?
1: Sure. Um, streetlights in Western Riverside County, there are a lot of them. There are 48,000 of them. Um, and unfortunately, jurisdictions uh, spend millions of dollars each year leasing these streetlights from Southern California Edison, their, okay. their utility. Um, And this program is really uh, developed, intended to help cities purchase instead of lease these 48,000 streetlights and uh, further retrofitting them, saving more energy by retrofitting those to LED technologies. And in the long term, we're, we're looking at a $60 million savings over twenty years across hmm. eleven jurisdictions.
0: Oh that's awesome. That's those are some big numbers. So you mentioned or I just want to clarify, so cities don't actually own their streetlights in their area
1: Yeah not currently. Um, the the process as it's as it's been occurring the past I'd say a couple of decades and, and not all but a lot of the cities a developer when they come in um, they they plan and they permit and they do all of that fun stuff and as they install street lights, it just becomes um, um, habit that these poles are deeded over to Edison and not to the city so then then Southern California Edison owns these assets, owns these street lights mm-hmm. and um, maintains and operates them
0: oh wow, okay, so not only are the cities um, leasing the streetlights from SoCal Edison, but then they're also, are they paying SoCal Edison for maintenance and operations or what does that relationship look like?
1: Yeah. Um, so yes, Edison owns <laughs> owns the lights, they maintain and operate it, and the city as the customer pays the bill.
0: Oh, okay. I see. And how much are these leases for the streetlights?
1: So the leases are... Uh, the regional average is about $12, uh, $12 per pole per month to about $15 per pole per month given uh, given the type of the fixture and the wattage, et cetera.
0: Okay. So with that $12 to $15 average per pole per month, what does that equate kind of taking a step back and looking at that from like a big picture standpoint?
1: Uh, the subregion, it equates to about a $10 million annual charge.
0: $10 million? $10 million every year. That's crazy. So, how exactly did WRCOG get the idea of just the streetlight program in general? Like, how did that come about?
1: Yeah, the idea actually came from our member jurisdictions as they began to um, figure out their budgets and identify that there was this $10 million annual charge on the books that went towards energy, but more specifically towards these streetlights that Mm -hmm. they didn't have this, this control over so that they had, so that, you know, what they did next was they directed WRCOG to to develop this, this program, the streetlight program, um, to see how they could mitigate the costs of these, of, of this rising, of this rising charge for these streetlights and jurisdictions really quickly began to identify that maybe they can perform the operations and maintenance Mm -hmm. needs of these streetlight systems, a little bit more cost effectively than, than what the current charge to, to run these systems is is currently.
0: So you're telling me that jurisdictions found that they could have more flexibility um, in a variety of areas while gaining, like it's a cost savings too. And so is there, what was there like a number that you had in mind or cities had in mind for like what that cost savings could be?
1: Yeah. Um, if you take, if you, if you just take one street light for example, that, that twelve to $15 per pole per month. And if that same, that very same streetlight was owned and operated by the city, the cost of that streetlight is um, there's a 60% savings just by the city owning it. Oh wow! Not even that's pre retrofit to LED or anything.
0: So you mentioned, you just mentioned retrofits and LED lights. So why, why do this aspect of the, why include this aspect into the program?
1: Sure. There's a, there's a couple of reasons uh, to retrofit to LED lights and uh, an LED light—the uh, the definition of it is—it's a light-emitting diode uh, light. It's just a new new technology of uh, of lighting. Um, but the goal of of retrofitting to an LED light, it does it does really three things. Um, there's a lot of te- te- technological improvements to going with an LED light. Um, they're a lot more directional, so they can be shaped more to what you want to mm-hmm. light. It is a street light, so it should be lighting the street. Maybe not your bedroom window, for example. So, um, the technology allows it to, to be a little bit more focused. Um, led lights are also, you know, 60 to 70% more, um, uh, more energy efficient. So there's a lot of cost savings there. If you're, if you're using less energy, if you're using a lot less energy, then your utility bill will be mm. uh, quite a bit less. Mm-hmm. And the quality of these lights is is quite a bit better. You the the color is more crisp. If you if you have a light blue shirt on or a dark blue shirt on under an LED light, you're, you'll be you know it's it's light or dark blue mm-hmm. um, versus some of the existing technologies. It may look a little bit more muted. It may look a little bit more maroon in color. Um, and part of that actually, you know, we we understand that LED lights maybe haven't been around so long, um, so we wanted to get a lot of the public's Input on what what LED lay like the best. So mm-hmm. one of the one of the things that we had done in the city of Hemet was we installed a demonstration area, an outdoor LED light demonstration area, where we invited um, over twelve LED light manufacturers and installed over a hundred unique LED fixtures uh, in the city of Hemet. And we took people around. We took mm. you know five large guided tours around and we checked out all of these different led fixtures and one of the cool things that we had did we we printed out a, a color wheel and we asked all of our participants to kind of look at this color wheel under the different led fixtures and under the existing fixtures just to see how each of these how each of these um uh LED lights kind of represented what what the colors looked like under each oh, of these different LED lights.
0: What did you guys find when um, you looked at the color wheel under all the different lights?
1: We found that every single LED light um, showed the color wheel in a little bit a little bit more of its true form. The mm-hmm. oranges looked orange, the yellows looked yellow mm. under the existing techno under the existing lights. Um, a lot of the colors were muted.
0: Yeah, and in- I think we've all kind of experienced that too, like going to some kind of like even just walking home and the lights are on and then you're like, I mean, I thought I put on blue this morning, but now suddenly it looks maroon. So um, I'm sure that was probably really interesting. Um, So in my research before this podcast, I came across a thing called a dark sky requirement. Can you explain what this is?
1: Sure. Happy to. A dark sky requirement really uh, fundamentally is the, the mitigation and avoiding of of kind of upward upward light pollution. So any light that if we're using a street light, it's you know intended to light the street, not blast light into the into the sky. And one of the things that we've done in the program uh, to meet this requirement uh, is to work with Palomar Observatory. Palomar is an observatory uh, run by Caltech in North San Diego County. And uh, Palomar does a lot of great um, astronomy, astrophysics mm-hmm. uh, type of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to make sure that, that the lights that we were promoting in our sub-region um, didn't impede any of their work. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we, we minimize that light pollution as much as possible. Um, so we did, we, we, we continued working with Palomar scientists, we actually got a letter of support and a, a number of recommendations from them, mm-hmm. and uh, one of those, uh, one of the large directions uh, for our program from our elected officials is, you know, to make sure that we meet these requirements. So we're 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 meeting a lot of those requirements, minimizing the upward light pollution, using the right colors of these LEDs, um, so that so that the observatory can continue their their valuable research for the subregion. Um, one of the things you know about the LED technologies as well is they're very directional. They are we're able to kind of uh, focus them on where we want them to go, so we can focus them on the streets. You know, we, we can focus, and make sure they don't they don't go up, but also they don't go backwards into residents' front yards and their lawns and, and things like that. So that's that. Those are what some of our goals.
0: Totally, and I'm sure that directionality, like you mentioned, plays a part not only in keeping this dark sky requirement, but then has a positive impact on residents too, because it's not like this street light is disrupting their sleep because it's dark outside and the street light from like their cul-de-sac is like peering <laughs> into their window or something like that
1: and that's that's uh, that's a very good point uh, the American Medical Association or the AMA actually came out with a white paper in in 2016 that you know there are certain types of lights the bluer the light for example it messes with uh, uh, someone's ability to, to fall asleep mm-hmm. the bluer the more glary that that light uh, is it, it it's just harder to to, to go to sleep. Um, so one of the things that we're uh, that we are, we're we working on as well is just making sure that we're we're meeting American Medical Association's recommendations of a, of a warmer light, um, Palomar's uh, recommendations of a warmer light, you know, less less lumens, uh, things of that sort. So so we're trying to you know balance these balance these recommendations. But for the most part, though, those those two agencies are on the same page, and we're meeting both of their requirements.
0: Totally, it's definitely some multifaceted benefits in that. Now, with you mentioned earlier that 60%, six, there is a 60% savings just in st- streetlight ownership. Now, does the LED and retrofit increase that number?
1: Yes, it does. Um, so there was a 60% savings in just owning a streetlight, right? But mm-hmm. now, with the additional cost savings of LEDs, using less energy, et cetera, now that 60% number increases to 70%. So if you're if you're going from a SCE owned pole to a city owned LED for example, mm-hmm. um, there's about a 70% savings. Oh, wow. Off of that $12 to $15 per pole per month charge that I uh, mentioned in the At the beginning of this podcast.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So um, kind of referencing back to our beginning time when I asked you to kind of to give me an elevator pitch or a high level perspective of the program. um, You mentioned that cities can save $60 over 20 years. Now, can you break down a little bit more of where that number, that savings comes from?
1: Sure. Um, the first item that I like to talk about on that is, is the energy cost. You know, the LEDs simply use less energy, mm-hmm. um, so the utility bills would be would be reduced at a you know at a pretty substantial uh, rate just by using less energy. Um, the second item is once once the cities obtain ownership of these streetlights and they begin uh, providing their own operations and maintenance services to these poles. Um, they find that, you know, economies of scale were able to actually regionally operate and maintain these systems uh, at a much lower cost than um, how they've been previously uh, maintained. So there's, there's a lot of maintenance cost uh, reductions uh, for maintaining these, these systems as well. Um, but on that note, also, the, the life cycle cost of, of LEDs is much lower um, LED lights mm-hmm. last much longer mm-hmm. um, and they require a lot less uh, routine maintenance. They don't mm-hmm. burn out as much, things like
0: that. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, like layered cost savings on top of just not only ownership but then operations and maintenance and then so forth.
1: Yeah, um, for example, for the city of Menifee, you know, energy costs, maintenance costs, all these things included. Menifee, with a, a, a city around you know, give or take 6,500 streetlights, um, would save about, see about $8.2 million savings over 20 years, which is, is pretty, pretty substantial.
0: Are cities with these savings that cities have, are are they restricted to how they can spend them or kind of what's the deal on that area?
1: No, the savings would be totally unrestricted, unrestricted. They, you know, this is, um, these are, these are funds that they no longer have to, uh, to pay to, to the utility, um, and they can then save those and put those into the res- their reserve, their general fund. Mm-hmm. They can, you know, whatever sort of transportation or, or parks and rec project that they want to put these savings into. It's, it's totally unrestricted.
0: Oh, that's that's really neat. Gives them some flexibility too. Um, so, besides besides the fact that cities will experience great greater savings, are there other additional advantages or benefits of cities? actually owning their street lights.
1: definitely yes um, some of the additional benefits of this program you know include you know improvements in public safety um, colors will appear crisper under these these LED technologies we have we have tested that and we have seen large improvements in in the color rendition of mm-hmm. you know just just colors under LED under some of these LED lights which is which is great so if there's if there's any sort of incident in a in a neighborhood or in a community, um, folks will be able to give a little bit better description of the color of a vehicle or the color of a shirt, for example, if that's something that, that we're going to need to need to provide. Um, so one of the other uh, additional opportunities are revenue generating um, revenue generation opportunities. Just simply being able to to add to lease pole space out to to companies to you know to promote services to promote, um, programs, things of that nature. Um, some of the, there, there are also some smart city opportunities that, that we can provide that cities can now provide, um, to their, to their consumers, to their, um, residents. And these smart city opportunities are are very, very, uh, very, can be very broad, very, uh, very wide ranging, Mm -hmm. um, from things that, that might be able to increase, you know, additionally increase public safety, um, video recording, you know, microphones, uh, gunshot detectors, mm-hmm. uh, air quality sensors. Mm-hmm. You know these these types of informational services um, that can be kind of housed and, and provided uh, by um, uh, local government.
0: Um, so, w- what about like the upfront cost? How are cities actually going to be paying for this?
1: So, we've identified a couple of options. There are cities that are are willing and interested to in. Uh, self-funding this mm-hmm. this project where they can maybe they have uh, some reserve or some some monies left over in their general fund they can pay for the acquisition and the retrofit cost that's totally fine or a portion of um, but for those cities that are more interested in in, in a kind of a third party financier um, WRCOG did identify we went out and asked the market um, what kind of financial institutions are out there that can provide this mm-hmm. for the entire subregion without leaving anyone out. And um, we did identify um, uh, an experienced uh, finance institution that can support this uh, project for all of our cities that are interested mm-hmm. in um, using, using their financing for either acquisition or for LED retrofit.
0: Oh, okay. So how, how many cities then have opted into this program?
1: Yeah we have 11 cities that have opted into this and uh, after acquisition and after LED retrofit for these 11 cities, um, we're seeing that 60 million dollar savings over over right. 20 years.
0: Right, totally. So now standing currently present time, where exactly are we at in the process of acquisition, retrofit, that whole um, uh, sequential process?
1: Um, just at the end of September here in uh, 2018, our first city actually acquired their streetlights. So 6,400 streetlights have been acquired. Um, the remaining ten jurisdictions will will follow. will follow shortly and and, and acquire their streetlights. Mm-hmm. Then, following that, um, the retrofits will will begin uh, to occur. And we're anticipating that retrofits for the entire subregion will be completed in a year or two.
0: Wow, that's that's awesome that's super exciting well thank you so much tyler for coming in and sitting with us today i'm really appreciative and i definitely learned a lot just chatting with you for a little bit um it's obvious that this is a great program that definitely encourages local control and has a ripple effect on savings like we talked about energy efficiencies with the led lights and retrofits public safety and i mean a variety of other revenue generating opportunities you mentioned as well so thank you so much tyler
1: yeah, anytime. Thanks again for having me.
0: Yeah, it definitely. is a pleasure. The Western Riverside Council of Governments, also known as WRCOG, exists to unify the Western Riverside County so that it can speak with a collective voice on important issues that affect its members. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCast, please visit us at www.wrcog.us.